They were so successful in 1960 and 61 with their race car, they were alienating all their customers. They won every race, 16 races in a row for a year and a half. And my dad said it was bad for business. You know, he couldn't go into a, a restaurant without somebody trying to pick a fight with him. From Grindstone, this is Nebraska Made, a narrative journey through the lives of Nebraska's most inspiring business leaders. We unpack the intimate details of how our guests navigated obstacles and built their companies in pursuit of the good life. I'm JT Martin, and today we hear from Clay Smith, the owner of the high-performance auto part manufacturer and retailer, Speedway Motors. Today, we're joined by Clay Smith, the son of Nebraska's auto racing legend, Bill Smith, nicknamed Speedy. You see, post-World War II, Nebraska had a thriving auto racing scene. Lincoln alone had three racetracks, and it attracted some pretty big names. Well, Bill Smith fell in love with the sport at an early age, and in the 60s, he turned his passion into a business that continues to benefit Nebraska's economy to this day. Well, Speedy Bill, my dad, was born here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he really developed a love for cars and racing early on. His uh, dad took him to an early midget race here in Lincoln as a teenager, and he was hooked. And he was hooked on cars early because he would buy Model Ts and fix them and turn around and sell them. And he did that all the way through college. Uh, he actually sold cars to, to pay his way, help pay his way through Nebraska Westland. Yeah, so he was, he was kind of an entrepreneur from an early day. The fact that he's flipping cars in high school, that doesn't seem like the normal high school thing to do. Well, and it even predates that. We have a picture in my office of my dad. He is 14 years old. He He's sitting in his Model T that on the side says Bill's hauling. And so he'd go pick up your junk and take it <laughs> wherever you wanted him to take it. So he had this hauling service, and I think it was before he had a driver's license. So back then, I think you could get away with a little bit more than you might be able today as a youth. And my mother actually had an interesting background as well because she was from the western part of the state. They were original homesteaders in 1911 through 1912 in Stapleton, in Stapleton, Nebraska. And if you think about the hardships that they had to endure, uh, you know, everything that we do seems easy by uh, comparison. Uh, you know, my, my mom's older brother went off to the war and her dad ran the hide and fur store in North Platte. Well, you know, dad, he would call, she'd call him daddy. Daddy would take her hunting because she was the oldest and there was just the two girls left. And so my, you know, my mom was faster with a knife than anybody I'd ever seen because she could flay a fish. And you know, as a, as a mother of four boys, she was perfect because uh, there wasn't anything that she hadn't already killed and skinned <laughs> you know, by the time she was probably 12. Wow, yeah, so just a real appreciation for everything that they have and just a really hard upbringing makes me appreciate starting a podcast. Seems a lot easier than homesteading. Yeah, it is a lot easier than homesteading. My mom was a true people person. You know, she wanted to know who you were. She wanted to know your background and she just loved to be with people. And that really benefited them as they actually got involved in the organizations nationally because she was well recognized. She was called Mrs. Speedway. And even in the, in the early 2000s, she was recognized by the Good Guys event as the woman of the year because people recognized how, what a tour de force she was in the business. Hmm. So there, there'd be no Speedy without Joyce. There would be no Speedy and there'd be no Speedway without Joyce. 
Speedy and Joyce developed a great bond, and Speedy's racing career started to take off. Speedy raced motorcycles as a teenager, but his passion was in building race cars and not necessarily racing them. He had this brilliant way of thinking about cars and how to make them faster within the rules of the sport. His racing career started at county half-mile tracks, racing what they called modified and roaring roadsters. He drag raced, he raced stock cars, they actually even took a car to NASCAR in 1956 and hired the racer Tiny Lund, who would later go on to find fame and fortune for himself after winning the Daytona 500 in 1963. And eventually, Bill found his niche in building sprint cars. And that's really where my dad hit the national stage, because in sprint car racing, they actually won the national championship with uh, Doug Wolfgang in Knoxville, Iowa. And then they also won the Holman Classic. And so that this was the first televised sprint car race on uh, ABC. And so they ended up winning that race. And later on in the in 2000, Open Wheel Magazine did an article about that race. And they said that actually was the race that changed the world. That was the headline of the article, that it was so impactful that it pivoted racing sprint cars away from I, uh, IMCA and USAC into this world of outlaws where they raced coast to coast and they take on the local hotshots at their track. And that's really what started the world of outlaws. And he was there at the, at the beginning of all that. Wow. And with the emergence of television, more people can kind of get exposed to this, get exposed to him. It sounds like that was a really pivotal moment. It was, it was. You know, he, um, he was a great marketer, but he was also probably the best observer that I've ever known of human nature. You know, he liked to understand why people did what they did, and then he tried to market against those desires. One of the things he realized when he, ra he ran for a board seat on the USAC board, and they only picked one out of the category, the sprint car category that he was racing in, and he laughed. He said, well, nobody remembered me. You know, I didn't have a scar on my face. I did, you know, I wasn't missing a leg. <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't very memorable. And so he actually started wearing this black hat and uh, that black hat made him memorable. And that became his, uh, that became his uh, iconic uh, look from, uh, from all those years. You couldn't walk through an airport with my dad because people would come up and want to talk to him. They knew who he was, not because they knew what he looked like, they recognized that black hat. And I was always proud of that my dad was so approachable. Because a lot of times when you see somebody that you might consider a celebrity, in our industry he was, you may not go up to them and feel confident or a kinship that you might talk to them. You know, you just point them and say, hey, they're Speedy Bill. Well, people would come up and talk to him because they were longtime customers. They'd either known him in some, some way along the line because we were involved in the racing industry early and also the street riding industry so early. So Speedy makes a name for himself on and off the track with his signature wide-brimmed black hat worn slightly to the side. He commissioned a hatter in El Paso, Texas, who sold him his first hat for $75, and thus a brand was born. And while Speedy was gaining notoriety on the track, he was also building his speed shop for hot rod parts called Speedway Motors. His shop was forward thinking and innovative. For example, they started building fiberglass bodies long before anybody else had even thought of the idea. And it all started from humble beginnings on O Street in Lincoln, Nebraska. So in 1952, when he graduated from Wesleyan, uh, that was also the year that he married Joyce. When they, when they graduated from Wesleyan, they, uh, 
he started his operation at 2232 O Street. And it was a big building. It was 400 square feet. So it's a little bit bigger than the office that we're in right now. <laughs> you know, so it's minuscule. But it also allowed him to get started. When they did start that first shop, uh, my mom loaned my dad $300 to get started. We always kidded my mom that, you know, Bill thinks he's in charge, but she really owns everything. <laughs> so when you really think about it, I mean, how humble can you be for your beginnings to start your business with $300? Yeah. I mean, that just goes to show that, yeah, Joyce was the... She was the bread earner in the early days because she, she had a great job with the state fair board, and she was very proud of working for the state and for the state fair. And so they lived on her income and anything my dad made racing or in the business just got plowed right back into the business. Speedy and Joyce worked tirelessly to grow their business. Joyce ran all of the accounting and payroll. Speedy had a knack for the product and the marketing. And their big break came in the 1960s when Speedway Motors introduced their now famous fiberglass tea bucket kit. That's when the fiberglass trend exploded and Speedway Motors shipped at least one tea bucket kit every week for 20 years. And to help fill all those shipments were their four sons, Carson, Craig, Clay, and Jason. And we were the urban farm family. I mean, we didn't go out and work the fields in the morning, but after, after school every night, we got on our bicycle and rode to work. And we worked almost every day unless there was some kind of sport activity going on. but uh, and, and you enjoyed that? We did. I mean, it was what we knew. Great. Wow. The way that your family kind of has have come together after all these years, it, it sounds like a, like a really cool relationship. Yeah, I think my dad and mom, they violated most child labor laws. <laughs> but, you know, but it was okay because, you know, it was the family business and you were working there. But I, I can remember with my brothers, we would collate catalogs. And so, you know, we were probably, we were well less than 10 years old. They'd lay all the papers around the dining room table and we would march around and you'd pull each one together and at the end you'd staple it. You had a catalog. Well, I mean, we just did that time and time again. And so I know my brothers and I have really good hand-eye coordination and dexterity because we collated a lot of catalogs, you know, as eight-year-olds. <laughs> and so you guys had a very, sort of tight-knit family then growing up, and it seems like you really stuck together. Did you know that you always wanted to stay in the family business? Was that just always expected? It never was expected, and I didn't think I did. I was on a swimming scholarship at University of Nebraska, and so I swam my first year, and I was the first team to swim in Devaney. And um, after my first year, I just felt like I was missing something. So I actually dropped out of school, and my when you think about it, I. I had no pushback from my parents. You know, I think they had enough respect that I was going to be on a good path. I actually went to Europe with some friends. My, you know, grew my brain, thought about what I wanted, came back and applied to engineering schools. And I was fortunate to get into good engineering schools, one of which was Stanford, and then transferred and finished up there, both undergrad and grad school. Um, so it was never, I don't think it was ever expected that I stay, um, but I think knowing where you're from, it makes it really fun and easy to come home. Wow, that's, that's, that's a risk that some people might, <laughs> might not be comfortable with, you know, going to Europe and taking some time off of school, but it sounds like that really paid off yeah. for you. And for me, you know, I, I had realized after my freshman year, I had gotten mono and I still tried to swim through it. It was really a tough year and I just needed a break. 
And when you're a, an athlete at, at a D1 level, you're spending a lot of time. I mean, I can remember I lived in a fraternity house. I would be getting up for practice when my roommates were going to bed. You know, it wasn't really a conducive environment to be an athlete. Uh, but once you realized I wasn't going to spend five to six hours a day at my sport, I needed to figure out my next gig and what am I good at and then spend that five to six hours getting better. So Clay earns his bachelor degree in economics as well as his master's degree in industrial engineering and in engineering management from Stanford University. He goes on to work in consulting in New York and San Francisco and then investment banking in San Francisco buying and selling companies until the day he's finally lured back to Nebraska by his parents with something they knew he had an interest in, real estate. Do you remember Nebraska calling you back? You know, it was my, I think my parents were strategic about including me in projects because our real estate company, Speedway Properties, was started in 1961 and it was an interesting start. Because effectively, my dad was a, was good at trading cars. I mean, because he learned how to do that to pay his way through college. Well, he would buy buildings like you'd buy a used car. You know, he knew the sense of value, and he'd buy buildings that he personally could use. So we'd buy a warehouse. And as soon as we bought the warehouse, he'd put a sign up, and it was for lease. And if somebody needed to lease it, we'd move out, and somebody else would move in. So we had, you know, we had a half dozen properties uh, when I went off to college. But when I was working in New York, uh, I was making a really good income. And I talked to my dad and we co collectively decided that we wanted to invest in real estate together because I always had an interest in the real estate. And so we started doing that in the, uh, in the early 80s. And so that was really one of the things that we were doing that already together. I was doing it at a distance. I was helpful in the process. And that part of the business really was what drew me back. It was always a way that we could take our success of Speedway and our, and our resources of Speedway and plow them back into the, the local community. So we could buy buildings in the Haymarket when nobody wanted them and fix them and turn them from a warehouse into something else. And uh, we took the old LT&T warehouse and their office building and are converting them into mixed use centers. And so Aloe is in that building as well as Nelnet. I'm proud of that, particularly because that's where my grandfather spent most of his life, was working in that same building that you now can go get coffee at the mill. So Speedway uses their profits to reinvest back into the Lincoln community. In some of their more recent projects, they've redone the Telegraph District, built Canopy Row in the Haymarket, and they're in the process of building Canopy Park across the street from that that will feature 250 more apartments above commercial space. What about being started here in Nebraska do you think really helped contribute to Speedway success? You know, my dad had multiple chances. Most of his suppliers and a lot of his customers were on the West Coast, particularly California. He had so many offers to move to California, but he always said no. You know, he was comfortable in Lincoln. He loved Lincoln. He thought he could prosper in Lincoln. He was always proud to be in Nebraska. Often when he would race, on his car, he would have an outline of the state, which you know, sounds kind of weird. But I asked my dad about it one time and he said, I just wanted to know who just beat him and where we we're from. And so there's a lot of pride in being from Nebraska. You know, our customers tell us that there's something different about us, something special about us as a company. 
And you know, when we survey our customers, they tell us that our net promoter scores through the surveys that you know we're world class in serving their needs. And we're fully convinced that that's because we care and we're Nebraska nice and we're friendly. And sometimes that just doesn't resonate with other companies in other parts of the, the country. What would Speedy and Joyce want to say today if they wanted to say something on the podcast? Well, I know my mom would be super proud and tell me. My dad would be proud and not tell me. <laughs> and I, I think that they would be proud of our how we've stuck to the business, how we've prospered with the business, how you know the team that we've created together has continued to succeed. You know, as you said early on, Lincoln, Nebraska isn't the most logical place to put an automotive performance company. You know, so if you can make it here, like they say in New York, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Well, you know, my dad had that same chip on his shoulder because when he was inducted into the Peterson Lifetime Achievement Award Hall of Fame. He was the first person outside of California to be inducted. And that was probably the proudest moment of his life that he was recognized that he could do it from Nebraska. Joyce and Bill passed away in 2013 and 2014. And one thing that they're most proud of is their Museum for American Speed, located near where the old Capitol Beach Speedway once stood in Lincoln. The museum was founded in 1992, and it's the number one thing to do in Lincoln on TripAdvisor. It's dedicated to preserving racing and automotive history, as well as many of Bill's original cars. I'm JT Martin, and this has been a Grindstone production. Grindstone is one of the premier production and marketing firms here in Lincoln, offering everything you need to grow your business in 2021, from video and podcast production to social media management and media buying. You can learn more by visiting grindstoneagency.com. My warehouse team laughs because they say, you know, they think they single-handedly may be saving America's marriages because they might be getting dad out of the house, out of the kitchen, and he can go work in his kitchen in the garage. Hey, Nebraska, are you interested in sustainable local farming? Well, on Friday, February 5th, begins a five-week online conference for anyone looking to learn more about local agriculture. Here's one of the conference organizers, Wally Graber. You know, the Healthy Farms Conference is a place for people to learn and engage with their food system. And they get to learn from farmers directly and farmers can share their knowledge and expertise and questions about, you know, why do we feed goats hay year round? Or what is the diet of a dairy goat? How does that differ from a meat goat? You can go to sustainablenebraska.org to make a donation or register for the conference.